I'm telling you, man. Hey, fam. Welcome back to yet another episode of I'm Telling You. I'm telling you. That was a little bit more assertive this time. I kind of like that. I was like, you felt, I felt like you had more commitment there. That was good. But yeah, as always, this is Philly D. Mr. Gemini. Clickety clack effect check Miss JD. Yeah, and uh, as always, we like to start every program with please reach out to us. We love getting those communications. We want you to continue that conversation. You know, send us uh, movie quotes, dad jokes, tell us we're awesome, tell us we suck, tell us what you want more of. We don't care. Just reach out to us. But you can hit all three of us at ity at directionsandmusic.org or individually, you can get Mr. Gemini. G E M I N I at directionsandmusic.org. Bleep, blur, bleep. Your Philly D P H I double L Y D at directionsandmusic.org. As well as, uh, yeah, a first time listeners, this is a one hour program of me and this guy over here, 30 years this plus jackass. best for, yeah, this jackass. <laughs> yeah, 30 plus years of amazing friendships, just questioning anything and everything to have better understanding, not to diminish, not to, to remove or put down, but literally just to question more become better people and you know now we throw in dad jokes and movie quotes because we think we're hilarious i like how you put that oh thanks yeah. that's you know as well as we've also <laughs> been saying hey if you want to feel human come see us you're really you're really holding on to that because it's a god oh, dude it's what we do it's what we do sometimes as, things just come out of my mouth and he likes to repeat them so. well i mean when you get them recorded i can go back and listen again and again <laughs> and it just seeps into the brain but yeah another cool thing is like a lot of times we get amazing guests especially lately we have a super awesome guy we just had the green room with him he is phenomenal mr jeremy if you could please introduce yourself hey there uh jeremy miller from growing pains uh i played little ben siever and uh, also the voice of linus for the Peanuts Gang, my book that I wrote with my dear friend, uh, Dr. Brandon Phillips, on When I Wished Upon a Star. Dude, you are. Right. Right. So, okay, you know what? All right. We're going to skip over Linus for a hot second, but we will come back to that. So, so book, with the, so what was the purpose of this? I mean, so, I'm writing it down right now, too. <laughs> she's going to put that in the chat for us later. So, what kind of doctor, what was the purpose of this book? So, my dear friend, Brandon Phillips, was a wish kid. When he was young, he was born with tetralogy of flow, which is a heart condition where uh, the heart doesn't pump the right blood to the body. And he was not expected to live to see the age of 22. Wow. He was granted a wish by the Starlight Wish Foundation. And his wish was to come meet me on the set. Now, we had many kids over the years who had come to the show because they wanted to meet Kirk or they just wanted to be a part of the show or see a filming. We had one uh, girl who got a Make-A-Wish that I believe um, she actually, they actually gave her a part. They gave her a small guest part in one of our Halloween episodes and her and I had to dance together. And um, But this was the only person who specifically came to our set to meet me. And basically, he came from a broken home. You know, he was born with this heart defect. His father abandoned the family at five years old on his fifth birthday. And he just, he basically was lost. You know, he wasn't a great student. He was kind of lost in where he was going in life. He knew he was supposed to be dead by the age of 21 or so. So he knew he didn't have much future. And he was granted a wish and because he was born in a broken home, because he had 
only one sibling. Our family life was what he yearned for. Ben Seaver's life was what he wow. wanted and yearned for more than anything. So he came to the set, him and I had an incredible time. And we just, we formed this lifelong friendship that him coming to meet me ended up setting his life on the path where he realized maybe I do have a future. If, if this little kid from Trout, Louisiana, Nowheresville, small town, Louisiana could go to Hollywood and meet his favorite star on the set of his favorite show, maybe more was possible. And from that day on, he became an A student. He started bu buckling down in school. He had already set his mind on wanting to become a doctor like the pedi uh, pediatricians who had treated him. And he sets his sights on doing it, and he did it. He went to medical school. He became a pediatric cardiologist treating children who have the exact same problems he does. Uh, he's now well into his 40s, like I am. Nice. We were only about a year apart. The procedure he had has actually become so commonplace that Tetralogy of Fallot is no longer on the terminal list. You don't qualify for a wish anymore if you have this procedure because that doesn't, that doesn't. it's just because That's it's become this procedure is so effective now at, at fixing the issue. Um, and it's become so commonplace that his disease about eight years ago was actually taken off the terminal list. So awful. it's just a story about our lifelong friendship. And in turn, it's a very unique one because there's not a lot of celebrities who um, have had lifelong friendships with their wishes, with the kids who, or other people who've had made their wish. And there was nothing out there in the market. And every time we told our story, people just kept saying, you got to put this on the screen or you got to write a book because it's almost unbelievable. And the truth is that years later, him and I had lost touch. And through a very random set of circumstances, he met Kirk again. Kirk Cameron, who played my older brother on the show yeah. and got connected to him through an outside source. And Kirk called him one day and said, look, we're going to be going to Louisiana to film the Growing Pains reunion. We're going to be there for like eight weeks. I need you to help me find a place for my family. He's like, you know, the show's going to pick it up and everything else, but I need a home. I can't just be in a hotel room with my kids and my wife the whole time. Can you, do you know anybody who knows real estate? Can you get me set up? And he helped Kirk get the home set up, but he now knew that all of us were coming. And Kirk reintroduced us and we basically just kicked off right where we had left off, became close friends again. And he was instrumental at saving my life when I was deep in my addiction, my alcoholism. He was one of the ones who turned around and literally pulled me up from the depths and saved my life all those years later. So just kind of a story. I mean, him and I are both people of faith. Um, we didn't write it as a faith-based book or anything like that, but we don't shy away from the fact that him and I both are church-going guys and so forth. But whether you believe or not, many, many people, I mean, we didn't, we didn't market this book as a faith-based book. We didn't try and sell it only through Christian bookstores and things like that. I mean, it's, it was written for everybody. And at some point, there's just so many connections, so many six degrees of separation in his life and mine that keep playing out to keep us connected 
to give each of us reassurance at the exact time we needed it. Um, just to give you one of the small ones, he had to go in and have a valve replacement early. Um, about this is maybe seven years ago now or so. And he wasn't scheduled to have it for another three or four years. And it shook him pretty good. You know, I mean, it's anytime you have valve issues with the heart, you're going to have to have them replaced every so often because your heart grows as you continue to get older and those same valves don't fit. So he had to go in, he met with his doctors, they set up the surgery and he was just feeling extremely down. And he happened to get a call from Kirk. And Kirk said, yeah, I'm bringing the kids out. We're going duck hunting with the Duck Dynasty guys. I'm going to be in Louisiana. Do you want to get together? And he's like, of course, I'd love to see you guys. I could really use it. I could use, you know, some fa family and friends around right now. And Kirk says, great. Well, we're flying in tomorrow morning. I'll give you a call and we'll get together. Brandon's kind of uplifted a little bit. He gets on the plane and he's sitting there and he's staring at the head in front of him. He's like, you got to be kidding me. He reaches around and he taps the shoulder and Kirk turns around. They're on the exact same flight <laughs> flying to Louisiana. He's sitting in the row in front of him. Texting him like, hey, we'll see you tomorrow, bro. And he's like, I mean, I'm, I'm right here. So, I mean, yeah. there really is no such thing as coincidence. Right? Well, that's exactly it. That's what that was the point we wanted to get out of the book, you know, get across to people in the book. Whether you are a believer, whether you believe in just you know, karma, whether you believe in just the power of the universe, whatever it is, at some point, you got to stop calling these things coincidence because I they call happen. them God stances. Yeah, God <laughs> stances in recovery, we call them God shots, um, you know, those little moments. But it was a book written to just get that hope that something is working out there for your betterment at all times. You know, that was what we wanted to get across with the book. But at its heart, it's really just the simple two story of two very different kids born in two very different places whose lives paralleled each other in a lot of ways and who were able to be there for each other at their darkest times. Yeah, I mean, this sounds like a lifetime movie, Hallmark, you know, like, well, like we're in we're in pre-production right now. We have a wonderful writer who's actually changing the book into screenplay form as we speak. Um, we have another couple of weeks probably before he turns his first draft over to us and shows us what direction he's going. But we have a couple of different streaming people already paying attention. Um, we have a connection to Steven Spielberg in the book. Brandon actually presented Steven Spielberg with his Lifetime Achievement Award through Starlight because Steven Spielberg and one of his partners, Peter Samuelson, who he worked with for many, many years at Amblin, and they were partners on a lot of different films. They started, well, Peter Samuelson started the Starlight Foundation and Steven Spielberg's support and generosity for the foundation was what kept it going for a large many of years. So when it's done, we are going to offer it to Amblin and them first, just because Brandon and I feel that there is that connection to them having been such a big part of Starlight. And if they say no, wonderful. But we want to give them the first opportunity to refuse us uh, because of that, because they were so, so much a big part of Brandon's life and mine. I mean, if it was not for Steven Spielberg and Peter Samuelson making that organization what it was, and so many other people behind the scenes, Brandon never would have been a part of my life. 
you know, and, and he has been, he is another brother. I mean, he is truly that brother from another mother to me. I mean, him and I are as close as brothers. We talk all the time. He calls my mom, mom. I call his mom, mom. We visit all the time. When he comes out to California, he stays with us. I go out to Louisiana to visit him. I stay with him and his mom all the time. It's, it is family. And I, I wouldn't have that if it wasn't for them. So, yeah, we don't know where it'll end up, but we are turning it into a screenplay and uh, we'll see. It, it definitely lends itself to that lifetime uh, hallmark family film kind of market. But if someone wants to pick it up and put it on the big screen, we're definitely game for that, too. We'll see where it ends up. Dude, that is awesome. I love the fact that you're like the homage back. It's like, hey, bro, we know where we came from. We we can, you know, respect where you all did. Like you had that place in there and to to recognize it, but then to also acknowledge and give respect back. Like, dude, that's well, I mean, there's a there's a great deal of humility in experiencing what the two of you experienced with each other. And that's one thing I'm I'm thinking about. Like, so, you know, the the initial claim for you was that you know, you were there for a time in his life and you kind of saved him and then he in turn saved you. But I wonder, like in that saving him, didn't that do a great deal for you as well? Just in that initial... It absolutely did. Um, getting to provide him, I didn't get to see the effects of it or know how deeply it really changed his life until much later. All I really knew at that point was here was a young, we didn't get given, we weren't given much info on the make on the wish kids who came to the set. All I knew was he was bad off enough to be granted a wish, which in my mind said that, you know, he wasn't long for this world. And I wanted to make sure he just had the best day he possibly could. And as I got to know him a little bit, a lot of what I assumed was true. Having had this issue as a kid, he hadn't gotten to be a kid. He hadn't gotten to go out and play like normal kids for the most part. He didn't get to go roughhouse and just be a dumb kid doing whatever he wanted. So I said, screw it. We're going to have some fun. And him and I borrowed some golf carts from the grips on the set. And I took him <laughs> on a big quote. Well, <laughs> I always returned them. <laughs> The keys were in it. I'm just saying. The keys were in them, and I always returned them to where I took them from. So it can't qualify as stealing. (laughs) That is is borrowing. Yeah, you're right. But we borrowed some golf carts, and I took them on a big, you know, tour of the whole place. I got us some of the bikes from the offices that uh, the writers and um, the PAs and people use to travel from the writers' offices to the set. And him and I just went all over. On our lot, we had an old west set that they had filmed hundreds of movies on. We had the Fantasy Island set with the actual waterfall and the jungle and the whole nine yards. We had um, the house from Karate Kid 3, Mr. Miyagi's house. We had all of these different things on our lot. So I just took him, we went bike riding through all of it. We went through the forests and I took him hiking and we just did all this crazy stuff. Um, we had the, the barn from Friday the 13th. Um, that Sounds was like you could go set. through like all Indiana Jones's movies in like oh, yeah. one we, day. We just went through <laughs> all this different stuff and we went up, I, we climbed up into the lofts of the, the, Friday the 13th barn and we jumped down into the big hay bales and everything. And his mom was not happy with me, um, but I didn't care. I, I wanted this kid to just have the best possible day he could. And he did. And weird enough, we ended up not getting any pictures together. 
I was the one he came for. And through all of everything we did, we got no pictures. When he ended his day, he realized the only photo he had was of him and Kirk from when Kirk had signed a little shirt for him. And it was weird to him because Kirk was the one person that he didn't really care about meeting. Not as any offense to Kirk, but right. because oh, Kirk's no. character was the troublemaker. Well, he identified for, with you, too. For the, Brandon, the troublemaker was not good. You didn't want to be, you know, Brandon was a very straight-laced Southern kid, <laughs> you know, wholesome, you know, raised in small-town Louisiana. So Kirk's character was not what he aspired to. But he walked away with only the shirt. I mean, given we all signed it, but on the shirt, Kirk had just written, God has a plan for you. Love, Kirk. And then he walked away with only a picture of him and Kirk and nothing of me or the other cast. And he found it really weird until later on, he's thinking about it. He was like, well, maybe that happened for a reason. Maybe there's some reason why I need to have this connection to Kirk. And again, he didn't mm. talk to Kirk, not one time. They kept no relationship going. Him and I corresponded for years afterwards through phone calls, through letters. Um, we didn't really lose touch until around college age. But years later, that connection to Kirk and then being brought back into his life by a roommate who happened to be Kirk's publisher's son. <laughs> I mean, so weird. The the most random it was it was just the the means to move forwards and and kirk filled that role and now him and kirk are still close um just like we are i mean he actually became essentially like the family physician to all of kirk's kids um you know when kirk would panic as a new dad in the middle of the night brandon was the guy he would call and you know get him to put his mind at ease and but but little did he know that this this big event in his life would turn into so much more. And I mean, he's, he's one of the most amazing people. That's one of the reasons I tell people to read the book is I lived my story. I couldn't care less. There's a lot in there. It's a dual biography. It really is both our lives as we go through these seasons of our lives. But Brandon's story is so fascinating. Overcoming the learning disability, overcoming his heart condition, overcoming um he's has a reading uh disability that he actually was making him fail his medical tests and he had to fight with the governing boards to actually get him granted the proper amount of help to overcome the disability and then he's placing at the top of his board exams and he's i mean he's he's one of the most in-demand pediatric cardiologists and yet he chose to work again in small town louisiana he's working in west monroe louisiana because they don't have pediatric cardiologist specialists in these small towns. They don't have access to this. And it was close to family. It was close to home. He had already worked at Mayo Clinic in you know, Minneapolis. He's already worked Texas Children's Hospital in Houston under some of the best doc. In fact, he went back to Texas, Christian, uh, Texas Children's Hospital in Houston and worked under Dr. Vargo, who was the doctor who saved his life when he was a baby. Dude, so everything's full circle. 
Yeah. Like, I know, right? like on every level. So, yeah. There's so yeah. much culmination yeah. out of the story. Yeah, like, I could see that being a really yeah. interesting read. I mean, that's so, like, even if he tried to veer off, there was somebody knocking him back in. For the oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's so it's a great read. We're actually audiobook now as well. Um, we got a wonderful actor um, named Max Adler, who was uh, a star on Glee. He was also, he's got a, a huge IMDb. Um, he again through another random set of circumstances got connected to Brandon and offered to do our vocals and do the reading for our audiobook and it's a great re- i mean i honestly cannot think of a single person who could have done it better you could offer me any a list actor in the world they couldn't have nailed it better than max morgan I, <laughs> as much as i love morgan not even morgan the amount of the amount of emotion the amount of of poignancy and real reality that Max brought to our, there he is that he brought to our story. I'm telling you right now, I was bawling through probably 50% of listening to his performance of our book. Um, I, I was, I was just absolutely in tears. He, he was so powerful and so emotional and just hit all the right moments. Um, I can't be thankful enough to Max for what he did. So yeah, if you want to check it out, it's available in hard copy. It's available on audible or any other, uh, audiobook site. I don't know if they have us in the library on audible yet, but if it's not, you can actually purchase the audible book on Amazon and it will play on audible. It's just for some reason on there, they haven't updated the library um, last time I had checked and we weren't in the library. So if you go into the Audible app and search, you won't find it. But if you purchase it through Amazon, it will then show up in your Audible and you can listen to it. That's cool. what we, yeah, that's odd, but hey, cool. Well, at least it works. So, you know, a little roundabout, but dude, that's crazy though. Like, I mean, because as you're explaining this, it sounds like there were so many different points where there was this separation, where there was this removal on multiple levels, and yet somehow or another, something they, just literally intervened. It was just like, no, bro, you gotta, you gotta, yeah, the synchronicities, yeah, yeah right? Mm-hmm. Well, I can, I can tell you there was even one more which didn't really make it that much into the book, in that we were supposed to film the second reunion film for Growing Pains in Montreal that summer mm. it is showing up if you search it in the app now it is oh awesome yep. so they I did just... update it Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> but um we were supposed to film in montreal in the summer abc at the last moment decided they wanted this done in time for the thanksgiving break and they moved filming up to feb- february well you can't film in montreal in february not, not if you're filming outside yeah, right. <laughs> so we got moved from there to New Orleans. I mean, yeah. we weren't even supposed to be there. So we're back in Louisiana. So anyway, just another, again, another one of those little, it could have veered off into a completely different path, but that little God shot, whatever you want to call it, something kept us on this path. Um, and interestingly enough, reuniting with him was not the only thing that happened on that trip. That's when I met my fiance, the love of my life, my beautiful Jenny. Uh, yeah. Right. Uh, it was, it, it was on that same exact trip. Uh, I met her in an elevator and it was love at first sight. So, uh, man, the, the synchronicity. something has been guiding that synchronicity for a very long time in my life. And I'm very, very grateful. <laughs> That's so awesome. 
And you know, like speechless right now. Like, you're that's, right. But that's see, so and this cool. is this is the cool thing is like the more and more we talk to to people like you who have these insane life experiences where like the average person is just like, I go to work, I make money, and I take care of my kids. You're like, oh, okay, great. It sounds, you know, it's just average. But when you get individuals like you where you have all these things, more times than not, when you start telling these stories, there are so many coincidences. There are these these synchronicities and just like moments where it's like, dude, you know what? I didn't know it then, but as soon as it was, it was like holy crap, I can't believe how many, you know, you know, consistencies came out of that occasion. Like, I hate to say that either. Like, everybody's got a story. I mean, I, I was the guy that was working 25 years in a major corporation and I hated every minute of it. But like, people didn't know me. People that knew me for years didn't know me, you know? And like, yeah, everybody has a story. Yeah, we do. Well, that's, and that's, I think, what we enjoy about what we do is because it doesn't matter how popular you are or how not popular you are, or, you know, what you did for a job, how many kids you have, if, whether you don't have kids, married, you know, guy, girl, like none of that stuff matters. Famous? Did you write a book? Like, no, I don't, it doesn't matter. You yeah, know, that's, we're all, that's, but that's why I love the idea. If you want to feel human, come see us. We just talk to everybody like we're all just people. And yeah, I love everybody. that. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, that's one of the things that always just blew me away. Um, because as a kid, it makes you realize that people just don't see you anymore was, I mean, I was a normal kid. I mean, yeah, I'm on a TV show and we were nationally famous and it was a big deal, but on the weekends, I'm still going to Taco Bell with my brothers or <laughs> going to a movie with my dad or whatever. And without fail, I mean, without fail, someone would recognize me and they come up and one of the first things out of their mouth would be, well, what are you doing here? I'm with my family. I'm, I'm seeing a movie. I'm having a burrito. I don't know what. Probably the same thing you are. You are but- right. <laughs> so awesome that you had an opportunity to still have that, though. I think a lot of a lot of child actors, and I think you probably mentioned it in some of your other podcasts. I know I call a couple of them. Yeah, yeah. But well, it's di- so different today. You know, I don't, I'm not sure kids can really have that anymore with the constant social media spotlight, everybody filming them wherever they go, whatever they do. I had the opportunity to still be a kid. I had the opportunity to still go to the park with my brothers and just have fun. And you know, there's a lot to that, that like we've talked about before that like the, the generation that we, that we grew up in, it's like, it was, it was, I mean, in a way it was more family oriented, but it was like, there were certain things that were different that you can't really explain to this new generation. It's like, if, if I wanted to watch growing pains, I had to be there when it was on. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like kids don't get like, everything is at the push of a button now. And everything is like, well, if I don't like it, I can just swipe it. And it's like, everything is instant gratification. Now it was so yeah, 23 seconds ago. I think that's, <laughs> that changes the way that your, your mind kind of functions. I mean, everything's on a seven second loop. I mean, everything is, <laughs> hi, I'm Tom. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if it's not, if it doesn't get me right I now, I was just thinking that. <laughs> but I was just thinking that you beat me to it. That's what we do here, buddy. That's what we do. Welcome to the family, my friend. There's a lot of stuff going on with all this, the social media and the kind of breaking us into tribes, people, and all that. That, mm-hmm. like, my kids are getting exposed to, but like, like I don't, and I don't know if most people understand this, but kids. Kids are not programmed like that. No, when, no. when kids come together at a young age, unless they've been taught the wrong way, when when we were kids, we never saw any differences in each other. No. I mean, if I didn't like you, it's because you were an asshole. <laughs> like it was no. just as simple as that. But if you could come back, and even as kids, it's like 
we were so forgiving of those things. So if you, even if you kind of came correct the next day, it didn't matter. Mm-hmm. And I, I wasn't judging you based on the color of your skin. That was something we were taught later, you know? And it's like, I feel like, I feel like this, this whole new generation, like it's like they're, they're getting that thrust upon them all the time. I agree. Uh, when I was young, uh, I'm not sure. Do you guys, are you, I mean, you guys know movies. Of course you do. Guess who's coming to dinner? Yeah. Sydney Poitier. Yeah. When I first saw that film, because of the way I was raised, I thought it was a freaking comedy. <laughs> I, mean, that, I mean, honestly, that's so you were raised. I, I, I thought it was a slapstick comedy. I thought that I was, I mean, because I didn't understand. I really didn't. I had not been raised with any of that prejudice, with any of there were that. Some funny moments, but that was a very serious No, movie. it's a very serious film yeah. dealing with a very serious topic. But I had not been exposed to any of that. I did not understand it. I watched that film the first time. I thought it was a dang comedy. It had to be explained to me that at the time that this was an extremely delicate social issue. Yeah. Um, right. You know, but that's again, like you said, kids are not programmed that way. I was no, never taught that stuff. Um, Dude, you know, that's up, that's just the case. Yeah, I mean, me growing up the way I did, coming from Spain to a Mexican barrio in California, being basically the white kid in the neighborhood, I never had a conversation about race or color until I was like almost 21 or 22 <laughs> living out here in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And it was a friend of mine who, you know, black, uh, black friend, and we're, we're sitting there going back and forth. And I was like, you know what, dude? I was like, dude, and we just started having a heartfelt conversation about color or race. And I made the note. I was like, dude, you know what? I was like, I feel like had I still been in California at this point, I was like, we never would have had this conversation because I just, I've never seen that difference until I moved to the East Coast. Cause I mean, I went from being the white kid to going to a neighborhood where I'm just like, hey, we're, where's everybody else? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I grew up in Massachusetts where it wasn't even brought up. Like it, everything was normalized. Like I knew racism existed, but I thought it was in the past. And it wasn't until I moved to the South that I realized it's real and it's still alive. And it was just a whole, it just baffles me how certain things are still certain ways or how people are still stuck in certain ways or they're, they intentionally continue it through the generations instead well, of correcting it. And that's the disappointing thing is that like, there's, there's, it's like perpetuated, you know, by the same people that are supposed to be the downtrodden. It's like, well, you're perpetuating the problem. You know what I mean? Like you're, you're, you're stepping out on the wrong foot entirely. Well, it's like, well, if people are going to see me like that, then I'm just going to be that, you know, I'm going to mm-hmm. be a thief. I'm going to be, um, you know, I'm going to take it. I'm going to take what's mine. And it's like, it's a shame because, you know, and, that, and I guess that's where I was coming from with that whole comment in the first place is that it kind of, it kind of scares me to realize that, that, you know, the kids, you know, my kids are getting exposed to this on a regular basis this tribalism, this whole I mean, differentiation. It seems like that's, that's the narrative nowadays is that we're mm-hmm. all we're different and we have to celebrate the differences. It's like, why don't we just celebrate how we're similar? <laughs> like, oh, yeah, because exactly. Yeah, go back to Morgan Freeman. He was doing an interview and the interviewer asked him. Oh, I him, love that. Yeah, and he's just like, hey, how do, how do we end racism? He goes, easy. We don't talk about it. It's that simple. If we don't give a thing power, it doesn't have the power. We're the ones that are giving it power. So us allowing for everyone to talk about the differentiations, which, hey, it's great. We should have differences and we should talk about them, but they shouldn't be what defines us. 
you know, it's or just separates, yeah. Yeah, so it's we're using them as signifiers to show difference and we're trying to teach each other, oh, it's because we're celebrating them. No, you're celebrating the fact that it's different, not what it is. But I don't think people understand that sometimes by to them they're like, oh well, I'm sell- I'm proud of this. But to other people, it's like you're de- you could be demeaning them in a certain instance. So it's like or putting them down. So it's like I'm celebrating this, and now it's like I put myself on a pedestal, and no, no longer are you worthy to be near me. Well, people don't realize don't like, celebrate you know, consider, this as well. It's like when that's you consider where- something to be exclusive. It's like that means you're excluding other people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so absolutely. Well, I'm, you judge them for wanting to celebrate with you sometimes. It, I don't have a problem with being being proud of your heritage. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But when it gets to a certain point, it's like, then it's, you know, it's it's demeaning and damaging to other people. Well, that's why I always say, if your words aren't picking somebody up, they're probably putting them down. That's exactly it. And, you know, like you said, that's a good point is there's nothing wrong with anyone being proud of their heritage. Right. I mean, that's absolutely. I mean, we should all be able to celebrate that. But when it when you let it define you, you separate yourself from anybody who is not of the same heritage. You know, I, I am someone who has always been about coming together. You know, always, even when I was a little kid, I was the peacemaker. I was the one who got everybody together. I was the one who, you know, if these guys at school didn't get along and these guys didn't get school, I was going to get everybody talking, get everybody messing around. And I've just all, I've, I've always believed in coming together. I've always believed, you know, I've, I've never believed we, any of us were meant to do this alone. You know, that's, that's just how I feel. And anything that tries to separate us constantly, I mean, do we need to recognize the horrors of the past? Absolutely. Do we need to recognize where it's led us today and where it could keep leading us if we don't change? Absolutely. But do we need to beat a dead horse every single freaking second and, you know, make people... Oh, it, it's weird because it cuts both ways too because it's like now you're not even allowed to joke about it. Mm-hmm. Well, and, we were just talking about like Archie... You know, overcome it, exactly. It was Archie it was, Bunker was the absolute epitome of that. You know, that's, we right. were just doing the whole all in the family oh, thing. Yeah, right. I mean, you've, you have rarely had a more despicable <laughs> character on television for those first few years than Archie Bunker. But it was done specifically to highlight the behavior, to show where it was wrong, to make light of it. And to show his growth. I mean, if you watch the first season all the way to the last season, the growth of this very narrow-minded, ignorant man is incredible. You know, but could you do that today? Are you kidding? You wouldn't get past the second episode. But I, I mean, literally, you'd be canceled before, you know, you ever even breathe. I can't tell you how many black people I've had in the same conversation say, man, I used to love that show. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there was an like, honesty yeah, I used to watch to Sanford it. and Sons, so whatever. I mean, oh, I love but we're not, it's like we're not allowed to do that anymore. You know, we're Elizabeth, not make light I'm of coming. it. <laughs> no, I'm coming, Elizabeth. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I love this show. With Mel Brooks, that's why we always say you can't do Mel Brooks anymore. I mean, oh no, battles, no way oh, in hell, yes. even as an art film, still not going to be allowed. Still, my favorite comedy of all time. I mean, hands down, I've seen it. I've, hundreds of times could recite it back to front and 
and then front to back again. In fact, when they re when they they did a special release, I think I was in my early to mid twenties. They did a special release at the Man's Chinese Theater, and they were going to play it for a week. My buddies and I went three times, and we we Rocky horrored it the whole time. I mean, we literally recited every line with the movie as it went. Yo, we gotta set up something with my driving guy. Yo, yeah, hold on a second. The fact that you actually just used Rocky horror as a verb to show how you respect you—that's a California. But see, that's a California thing. Like we growing up in Cali, because if you're talking October, you're getting you know grown men wearing lingerie out on the streets. The only reason why is because it's warm enough to do it but do you we would do it in plymouth new hampshire they would they would put on uh one of the colleges would put on the play all the time so like you'd just be walking down and just everybody would be in lingerie like everybody's in character entire, they hold that bag of rice and some toast yeah <laughs> the entire audience everybody yeah that was the best mm. but yeah i mean oh we like i and that's the thing is like, you know, I said it before is I don't, I can't stand most of the movies nowadays because they're just, they're either repeats or just, you know, reboots or remakes or just absolute crap or so it's. There's some gems in there though. There are yeah, some but, gems. So I love. Always going to be some hidden gems, but. Oh yeah, yeah. They're rare nowadays, but yeah, mm-hmm. that's, that's the thing though is I, I, you know, I want to rewatch the ones that I've always watched because I, I resonate with it. It's something that's special. Like, it takes me back to my childhood or my adulthood, you like, know, when I was bro, younger. Or, I watched Boss Level. I couldn't wait 48 hours to watch it again. That's an awesome, right, I'm sorry. That's just an awesome movie. It's yeah, very well done. <laughs> I just had to say one of one of my favorites. One of my favorites, just for the sheer performances, was Fisher King. Oh my God! Yes, we love Robin Williams. Robin Williams and Jeff Bridges in that yes film just killed it. I mean, two of the greatest performances, top to bottom. That I've just, I mean, I could watch that film anytime just to see those two going at it. Well, I mean, one of my biggest comfort movies is Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah, no, absolutely. Anything when I'm having a bad day, a, I just need some Mistelfire or Adam Sandler. <laughs> one of the two. Yeah, but going back to the Fisher King, I mean, you're talking about Robin Williams basically having to portray a mentally, you know, inept individual that has been dealt with on some sort of, you know, DSM level, like some kind of disorder or dysfunction. And I mean, he sold it. Like you could actually see it for what it was. And it's like, holy crap, my grandma acts like that. You're like, damn it. You know, there are, there are very few performances in the mental health or physical health space that really pull it off. Robin in that one absolutely nailed every little bit of it. The other one I would compare is my boy from Growing Pains, Leo DiCaprio. When Leonardo did What's Eating Gilbert Grape, yeah. Oh, wow. yeah. I can tell you, well, first, I mean, I didn't even know anybody who was, you know, uh, who had um, his disability. I actually have a very dear friend of mine who lives in my neighborhood. He's a young boy. The whole neighborhood loves him. He's like our little town crier, but he, he has, he was born um, on the spectrum. He's also, uh, Oh, I can't even remember the exact, but he had the exact same illness, the exact same as, as Leo was trying to portray in that film. My friend's father did not know Leo was an actor when he saw that movie. He believed that they wow. got a real kid to portray that role. That's oh, how good Leo did. 
that's 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 the level of performance he did was a father of a child who had this disability couldn't tell the difference wow he didn't find out till two years later that that leo was an actor (laughs) and that that was not that was not a real you know kid dealing with with that problem i mean it was it's rare actors can raise raise their level to that i mean Dustin Hoffman and Rain Man, people oh, who've dealt great. with, you know, um, patients who who have, you know, who are dealing with that, have said it was dead on. Have said he is exactly, exactly like my brother, my uncle, my cousin. You know, it's something people relate to instantly. And uh, yeah, Robin's it's- performance in The Fisher King was probably the greatest level of joy and pain and everything that goes in between in that mental struggle. I, I've never seen it put on film so well and represented so That's honestly. Beautiful production. In um, What's Eating Gilbert Grape, it says that the disorder was a Arnie, played by Leo, yes. was a autism spectrum disorder. Thank you. It's right. called ASD. Yeah, I mean, so. do the same thing with like Robin Williams though. Is when he did the movie Jack, where he was a oh. kid that grew up, you know, physically. Mm-hmm. So you know, here he is, this grown man, but he's you know an eight year old inside of him, and you know, which really isn't much of a stretch for Robin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say that <laughs> he's Peter Pan he and slid right into that. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, Robin had a heck of a mentor. Um, one of our grips uh, actually worked on Mark and Mindy. And the stories I would hear from him about uh, Jonathan Winters and Robin <laughs> going at it on set. Jonathan Winters is, I mean, if I don't know if you guys know, was a very wild, very out there, very risque comedian. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He really, for oh, his yeah. time, he pushed the boundaries. I mm-hmm. forgot about that name, actually, until you mentioned it. As soon as you said, I was like, oh, my God, that's right. And Robin, in his formative years, when he was really just becoming and coming into his own, he had Jonathan Winters basically as a mentor showing him how to be crazy oh my god Um, that makes perfect sense and the stuff they did together i mean our grip talks about how he would our grip was a guy named nick uh nick kavinga and uh tough guy big guy and one time jonathan had had a little too much party dust apparently and (laughs) came out came out before the show completely naked and tried to dive into the studio audience (laughs) (laughs) so here's here's nick in between him and the studio audience, basically with Jonathan Winter's crotch in his face, picking him up, trying to carry him away from the audience and keep this from happening. This was one of the guys Robin got to learn from in real life, you know? So that explains. And he was a Marine too. Jonathan Winters? Yeah. I didn't know Jonathan was a Marine. That's amazing. Yeah. I heard that. Yeah, yeah. He served from 43 to 46. Ooh. Thank you, Jonathan. Yeah. Right. But yeah, he was an amazing guy and just a funny, funny. I only got to meet Jonathan Winters one time and well, well, well into his later years when he was not quite so uh, verbally assaultive and funny, but he was still a, a very funny gentleman and a really kind like, man. So that crazy energy, almost like that rip torn 
kind of yeah, just yeah, like right. always on, like hundred percent, throwing glitter and freaking sparkles and confetti every chance you get. And you go, That's ripped, Rip Taylor. Oh yeah, there you go. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, wrong guy. You're torn. I was torn between the two. No, it's, it's, <laughs> I can understand. I can understand the confusion. It's all good. Oh, oh but yeah, Robin Williams. Well, yeah, because we uh, we had uh, we had Mark Scheffler on, who was. Um, I mean, he was uh, an actor, but mostly a writer. Um, he was a comedian at the same time as Robin before he was, you know, Mork from Ork. And he was talking about how he got to see that transformation from him where he went from just a comedian just trying to put his stuff out there to all of a sudden it's like he's freaking Mork from Ork and he's just, he is on 24 seven. And wait, that was the, that was the story where he had to drive. Wait, that yes. was one of the stories. Yeah. Us. yeah, I really like that story. So he had to drive. He had to drive Robin to to a show because his ride didn't show up or whatever. Okay, so he got yeah. stuck. All right, so uh, Robin's doing a show at a spot. Mark is there, and you know he's talking about how I have to go to the next spot, but I lend my car to a friend. Yeah. And so Mark's like, "Well, I got time." He's like, "I got to go up that way later." He's like, "No, let me just take it." It's like, "All right, cool." So they hop in the car. They drive like you know an hour, hour and a half to the next spot get out they literally show up there's three people in the audience mm-hmm. and robin literally goes on stage and as mark says 110 percent, he's like he gave what i saw out of his entire career because he knew them you know he knew him for decades he's like i literally saw him give the best performance of his entire life for three people and long story short is you know they're all done they hop back in the car to go to the next spot and mark is just you know flabbergasted he looks at robin he's like dude he's like i i can't believe i mean you just did like the most like amazing show. like <laughs> you destroyed and he's like and for three people like he's just like what the hell robin literally just looks at me goes well you gotta <laughs> i love that that's how that's how obsessed he was with yeah. performing and turning it on and being that individual where he's like i don't care if it's three or three thousand but a lot of people wouldn't a lot of people wouldn't even be able to do a full I know they be like, people. This, you know, like, throw the no, mic and I, run I live out. off the energy of the audience. You know, well, I've I, gone to a lot of shows, a lot of shows over the years because I'm a big fan of stand up comedy, but also live music. I've been to many venues, many over the years where I've shown up for performance, and you know, the bands only playing for five people, or the comedian. You know, I'm one of five, four guys in the audience, and it's really hit or miss. There's very few comedians and performers that I've seen that can bring that same energy. Um, I've and maybe sometimes only... that brings a better performance too. Like, well, I can tell you, I saw there is a relatively unknown musician named Sonny Boy. He's a funk artist. Um, put out some really great albums over the years, but I happened to be in Vegas and I got comped the show uh, just because I was playing and winning. And they came down and asked if me and my fiance wanted to go to a show. So I said, yeah, sure. We're going to go see this guy play. It was a late show, probably nine o'clock start. There's maybe six people there, including my fiance and I, and this guy gave a performance that was on par with anybody I have ever seen. I mean, literally energy, performance talent everything it could have been a fifty thousand seat auditorium this was like so, you so wouldn't have known the garden in freaking new york and you just you would it. never have known the difference and it's still to this day one of the best individual performances i've ever seen mm-hmm. and this guy like i said there were only you know total of six people there to see it 
Yeah. No, wow. you, you gotta. You really you do. Just, you just gotta. <laughs> yeah, but that's, and that's the thing about entertainment is it doesn't matter if you're having an off day or not. You're here to, to sell it. You're here to, you, dude, you have to give it 100% always. And you, you may not have that 100%. Well, you know what? Dig deep and find it because that's, that's what you're here for. That's how I've always felt. And I mean, even outside of performing, I, that's how I've always tried to be with fans when we meet, you know, autographs, talking to them, whatever. Because you have to understand that, I mean, I've always known from a very young age, if it wasn't for the fans, I wouldn't have a job. If it wasn't for them loving what we do, I wouldn't even be doing this. But even beyond that, I've had experiences where people traveled across the country to meet me at an event, and I left early. (sighs) Yeah. Yeah. You want to? I can tell you right now. I never did that again. I, I've had those things happen, and it's it's insane to think that someone would travel across country just to meet you for a few minutes or to get an autograph or whatever. But I can tell you right now, I've never left an autograph signing or an event that I was at or anything else early again. I'm thinking of the Eminem song "Stan" right now. Sorry. <laughs> well, it's you know, it's applicable. I mean, it really is. I've seen people. I mean, I'm not going to drop names, but I've seen people who treat fans like absolute crap. You know, who who act incredibly entitled and just basically shit all over them. And I don't get it. I, I you know, probably more often than not when it comes to Hollywood. Well, yeah, so I have like yeah. perfect story for this. I uh, we have a really good friend of ours who I met through uh, business and whatnot, and we just wound up becoming friends. We've had him on the show a couple of times. Well, we're recording the one night, and he hits me up while we're while we're doing. It. He's just like, "Yo," he's like, "I got to come back on." He's like, "Next time we're bringing my friend James. He's funnier than me." And I'm just like, "Dope, bro. I love you." It's like if you're telling me your guy's funnier than you and you're hilarious, I'm like, "This is gonna be amazing. Let's do it." Fast forward like a month and a half later, uh, my buddy and I actually do things together with beer and whatnot because he is a manager at a couple of restaurants and whatever. I go in doing a beer release with them, just thinking, "Hey, I'm popping in. I'm hey, I'm you know, I'm Phil, blah, 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 you know, doing my spiel." And this guy like locks eyes with me across the room, and I'm just like, I could feel this energy. He's like, "I know him, secret like, love." You know, there's 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 something. I'm like, you know, Is but, he on ecstasy. I don't really know right now. But the more he's looking at me, my brain's just going, "No, bro." No, we don't, we don't know him. Like, dude, he's, no, we don't know. And he's just, now he's starting to walk towards me. I'm like, oh crap, he's coming shit, over. I'm like, shit, oh shit, shit, what's his name? Shit. What's his name? What's his name? And I'm, you know, I'm pegging, like killing myself for it. And he walks up and just starts going off. He's like, dude, I watch your show all the time. And I'm just like, oh my God, he knows who I, what is, oh my God. I'm like, you know, it's, and he's just a friend of a friend who got introduced to our show and absolutely loves us. And I mean, he just, he's literally a fan and listens. And I mean, I'm just like, oh, and I literally started giving him hugs. I was like, you have, no idea how amazing it is. I was like, somebody knows what I, I, you know, I don't even know you. You know, I'm like, it's just, it was the coolest thing ever. It's like, that's awesome. But, and that's the thing is like, when you do these kind of things, you're, you know, no matter who you are, what level in life you are, your actions, your choices, the things you do affect everything, not every, everything, not just the people around you where you're literally ripples, you know, pebble in the pond and you have to be mindful of that. So, I mean, to their vibration resonates. I can, I can tell you another story. Um, so I had a trick when I was younger and I would get too overwhelmed with autographs where, when I was out somewhere, cause I mean, like any kid, I'd go to Disneyland with my friends you know, I'd, I'd go to, you know, Magic Mountain. I'd go to wherever and I'd get recognized. And the problem was I can't say no. I never have been able to say no to an autograph. 
you know, I, that's my, if they want it, if they care enough to want it, then I'm going to sit there and sign everyone I can. But again, I'm here with friends who want to go ride rides and I would get mobbed. I mean, in the peak of the show, if I stopped for one autograph, I'd be there for three hours signing 500 autographs. So after I'd get through, you know, a good portion of the crowd, I would, uh, you know, sure enough, someone would ask me, Hey, where's Kirk? Now Kirk wouldn't even be there. That but is, I would I would pick the furthest ride from us. You're like, oh yeah, I just saw him. And I would say he's he's he was over heading towards this ride or whatever. He's and I'm not kidding. You. That entire group that was surrounding me would like like a cartoon would lift up off the air, feet churning, <laughs> and just take off towards wherever and I leave said the dust he was. Cloud behind. <laughs> and then I'd be free to go enjoy my day. Well, Sucker. years later, I'm doing a. Uh, <laughs> I'm doing a podcast with a friend of mine named Delius, who was a musician back in the 90s. Um, and he tells me a story about how him and his sister met me at Disneyland one day <laughs> <laughs> and ended up getting in trouble with their parents because they ended up late to where they were supposed to meet them because they spent three hours looking for Kirk where I had told them he was. <laughs> so years later i get to meet this guy that i got grounded basically because of my uh my little trick that i used to do so going back to your whole book with uh with your friend you know who's supposed to be nothing and became a doctor i mean it's all those synchronicities all those coincidences like there is more to this world and everything around it than any of us you know realize or give credit to and it's just it's amazing when you actually get to sit back in retrospect and just watch it as a story unfold. That wasn't your fault. You know, a little bit. No, no, it was a little bit. A little bit. Yeah, it was, you know, un poco. You know, just, you know, I just, I want to go on a ride, man. Let's just go on the ride. We'll go wait. And then I sign whatever you want while we're waiting in line. I'll say that was my dad's, my dad had a rule after we got swamped one time at a pizza shop. Um, a little girl had come by, we had sat down, our food had just hit the table. And this little girl asked for an autograph. Little did we know that she was there with her soccer league in the back room. So league within different league, not team league. So by the time that entire league files through to get pictures and autographs and everything else, our pizza's cold, our everything is cold. And from that point on, my father had a rule that if the food had hit the table, just please wait until we're done eating and my son will be happy to take pictures or do an autograph or whatever. That's, you gotta, you gotta, That's fair. And that was a line that I kept drawn throughout my whole life because people be, can be, I'll be very blunt, mostly I had wonderful fans. 99.9% of them were very respectful, were very kind, were very nice. But then you have the lady in Tennessee when we were at uh, Grand Old Opryland in Nashville who said, I want you to come meet my daughter. She's too shy. I would like you to give her an autograph. And I said, sure, where is she? And before I could even get where is she out, she had me by the arm and is dragging me across the amusement park. So, I mean, I'm, I'm maybe 13 years old and I've got a grown 200 plus pound woman dragging me across the park and I had to say something. I mean, I was, I was by myself at that moment. I didn't have parents near me or anybody else. And I yanked my arm out of her arm and out of her hand. And I said, excuse me, don't put your hands on me. I said, I'd be happy to come and meet your daughter, but 
don't lay your hands on me. That's not okay. And she got mad at me. And all of a sudden I have her, <laughs> her husband. I'll choose my words nicely. <laughs> Just picture 1980s Tennessee. Get a picture say, in your Mountain mind. Man. Oh, yeah, you, you probably nailed it. If whatever picture you yeah. have in your mind, I was in Tennessee last it. summer. I understand. <laughs> and so, I mean, again, I'm a 13 year old kid, and I now have a grown man and a grown woman yelling in my face and chewing oh, me out. Over over over. You have people like that. I had the guy who at, took my girlfriend in high school to Benihana's before uh, the senior formal and sat down and we're eating and he comes over to ask for his, his autograph. And I just asked him just like I always do our foods on the table. If you wouldn't mind till we get done, I'll be happy to sign an autograph for you. And he says, okay, awesome. And he pulls up a chair and sits down at my table. <laughs> I mean, if and I had to as nicely as possible say, excuse me, you need to go back to your table. I'm having dinner with my girlfriend. I will come to you when I'm done. But those were the outliers. You know, for the most part, fans were always awesome, um, always treated us with great respect. And in return, you wanted to give that back to them. You know, it's but good it's, on you for having boundaries and knowing what you needed yeah. and like keeping those in place to have that line of designation for you have to, though. I yeah, mean, and keeping your cool while doing personal it. Personal space as well. Yeah. yeah. And you have to, you know, you have to still have a smile on your face, no matter how much yeah. they might be pushing the boundaries. And room, you bro. don't. You know, like, <laughs> read the room, like, girl, guy, dinner. That, that was what was so shocking. I mean, because it, it was a very intimate setting, and he just yeah. pulls up a chair and sits right down next to her, like it's no big deal. Or like he's the family dog, just like you guys got scraps. You gonna you gonna yeah. throw something at me? No, I'll just sit here and wait. I'm not I'm sure gonna... what bothers me more: the fact that I have to explain this. Yeah, no, <laughs> I feel it's a little weird. I gotta ask you to put pants on twice, bro. <laughs> we always had great fans always had great fans which honestly i think this is a great spot we we do have to we gotta no, 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 gotta yeah, wrap got it up b gotta gonna wrap it up i want to get uh mr gemini g-e-m-i-n-i at directions and music.org bleep, 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 bleep. bleep yeah you send someone in to torch me <laughs> yeah or philly d-p-h-i double l-y at directionsandmusic.org. But yeah, this is uh this is I'm telling you, this has been an absolute blast. Jeremy, yes. it's been a uh, it's an honor and a privilege. Uh, Thank you guys for having me on. Definitely it was it was a fun one and I really enjoyed it. But yeah, uh, I'm Philly D. Mr. Gemini. Clickety clack effect check of Miss J D. And Mr. Jeremy Miller, been a pleasure. Uh and fam, as always, uh be good to yourself, be good to everything else. Much love. Peace. Peace. Peace.